Am I interrupting? Thought you might be running low. Pour yourself a glass, pal. Thank you, but I'm afraid it would be wasted on me. You think we wasted our time coming here, don't you? Your question depends on me understanding what you hope to achieve by coming here. What we hope to achieve was to meet our makers, to get answers. Why they even made us in the first place. Why do you think your people made me? We made you because we could. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you to hear the same thing from your creator? there and welcome into episode six of film tank my name is alex diekman and i will be the host of today's film tank episode we have with us on today's show as always nick cheney yes hello there thank you <laughs> uh tucson egan also here today what's up guys let's get this rolling okay he's excited <laughs> and uh kenny marcellus also here with us what's going on yo so on today's episode we're going to be discussing the 2012 classic prometheus <laughs> yes. it was toussaint egan's favorite film from the first part of this millennium so far so he will definitely be interested in giving you more in-depth analysis on prometheus he's giving the death stare right now i'm just trying to have some fun i guess it's not <laughs> oh allowed my God. there's no fun to be i was gonna say there's prometheus. no fun on this show with prometheus it's all sadness and badness <laughs> and whatever we were wrong we were so wrong <laughs> It's actually a pretty good impression. Yeah. Well done. You do good impressions, Tucson. I love impressions. Oh, well, you do You do them well. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. You should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you want to send the show an email, you can send an email to filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also, find our episodes on filmtankshow.com and also iTunes and Stitcher, and you can rate and review the episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. We would very much appreciate it if you did. And also, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. I mentioned our email address, and we actually, as a show, got our first email last week. Yay! (laughs) Following the RoboCop episode, this was from Caroline, who sent us this email saying, Hey, Film Tank folks! First and foremost, I just want to say that I really enjoyed your show and look forward to listening in every week. Oh, that's how everybody should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, she has a question inspired by the last week's uh, RoboCop episode. Uh, Nick on the show mentioned a few times that a remake uh, to be considered successful in his in his eyes, there must be a reason for it to exist. Uh, using that train of thought, what are some of your favorite remakes? That again is from Caroline. Thank you very much for the email and. For anybody else that wants to send email and questions or reviews for upcoming movies that we're doing, we more than welcome it. So I guess since she referenced you, Nick, we'll start with you. What is your uh, favorite remake? Uh, that's an easy question for me. My favorite remake is uh, for sure Ocean's Eleven. And uh, that is a prime example of how the remake itself justifies its own existence because it takes what the old one did best, which did feel like a group of friends hanging out and, of course, doing something that we all wish we were clever enough to do. But it basically kind of dialed everything up to 11. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, and that's just one of those... It's thing, it basically, it kind of walks that fine line between, like I said, uh, paying respect to the old film, because it is generally the same premise, um, but doing something new with it. One of the interesting things about the... Um, 
the the old one is that it plays to the strengths of those performers because they're not really actors they're more entertainers so mm -hmm. there are a few kind of indulgent musical parts you know like where D-Mark's just singing in the lounge to distract the guests and stuff like that but it works because that's what they're good at whereas this also does the same thing where it plays to the strength of all these actors in the remake and you just have um, George Clooney being you know just ridiculously cool and, Brad Pitt eating yeah Brad Pitt <laughs> eating in every scene and uh, that's that's the other thing is that even that like it's such a little joke but that's also that's how much care and thought he was putting into that script that even Brad Pitt best in case anybody's never noticed but he is eating in every scene because one day he decided that his character um, didn't have enough time to eat in between these heists and whatnot so he would just always be eating whatever he's at these meetings so little things like that where like they weren't just remaking something for the sake of it they were all everybody on board with that kind of a movie was getting uh, you know just getting on board and wanting to do it. Well, and I'll, I'll say, to add something to that, I feel like the actual environment where they're doing the heist had changed so much. Las Vegas, it, when Ocean's, the original since 11, and Las Vegas when Ocean's 11 with Brad Pitt were just two completely different places for the most that part. That is mm -hmm. one of the more unique things, and that's also another reason why it's a great remake, because, because like you said, since Las Vegas has changed so much, you truly do get two different heist um in the old one you have the old vegas strip you know you got the palms and the yeah they went up to the penthouse on the fourth floor to go get yeah. something <laughs> and what was interesting there is like it's funny because oceans 11 the um, the soderbergh film is a little more clever because it's uh kind of withholding about like what's actually happening mm -hmm. until the very last minute whatever and yet the heist in the uh, the original is almost harder to pull off because they're robbing five casinos simultaneously so, you know, they literally have their, that's why they have 11 guys, because they have to be all at five different casinos all at once. Whereas, I'm not going to say it's a cheat or anything like that, but the the gist of the remake was that it was like one vault for three casinos, yeah. you know, shared and whatnot. So there, there are little things like that that are just kind of fun to get, like playing a game of like that. You know, like when you're a child and you see like what's different about this picture and whatnot, and you look at all the little differences and... Those are the kind of things that kind of justify why it should have been made and why both of them are still very entertaining on their own right. Cause you should never also try to make a remake simply just to make something better than what came before because then you just I feel like you're setting yourself up to fail. So I've, I, I think Soderbergh was on the right track with uh, something like that. So, Nick, let me ask you a question. So are there remakes out there? Because you've got your theory on, on what makes a remake good or not. Yeah. Does a does a remake have to follow those guidelines for you to like it, or not necessarily? I um sometimes it's just a personal thing. Like for example, um I don't even really like the movie The Departed all that much. I mean, I think it's okay, but I don't really love it or anything. And yet, I like it far better than the um, Infernal Affairs. Yes, better than Infernal Affairs. The Internal Affairs. Infernal. Infernal Affairs. It is actually Infernal yeah, Affairs. It is called yeah. Infernal Affairs. Yes. Oh, okay. And it's that's actually. Um, like we were just talking about Ocean Love, uh, the, going from The Departed to Infernal Affairs, that's the case of where they're completely different characters, but it's the same exact plot, and there are so many scenes that are exactly the same almost hmm. and whatnot. And that's one of those things where I only like the remake better simply because I actually don't like Infernal Affairs all that much. Like, that's just not a good property, so I don't know why you made it in the first place. But hmm. um, Well, the only reason I ask is because my, my outlook on a remake is very different than yours. I, I don't I don't need it to be, and maybe this is because I, I realized as I was going through, I was just taking a quick glance at Wikipedia, and, and they alphabetically listed tons of remakes, and I was just trying to jog my memory. But I realized that uh, a lot of movies that I've seen 
while a lot of them I haven't seen the original, the ones that I have seen are, are a lot of horror movies or things like that where you can't really go too far out of the storyline. It, it doesn't bother me. I don't mind because kind of like you were talking about with Oceans, it, I like to have the updated version with the newer actors and the newer scenes of, of different locations that are more modern and current day. So, um, I, you know, to me, I don't care if it's a, a shot-for-shot exact replica of the original. I just like the updated part, so I didn't know if, if there were any movies like that that you... I'm trying to think, because I know, of course, this was spawned off of our RoboCop debate. Right. So there's an example of a, a remake that I dislike because right. it did update everything, but then it did nothing good with it, in my yeah. opinion. Um, and once again, there's another example of that is uh, Len Wiseman making, remaking uh, Total Recall. I haven't even seen that, but I have no interest in seeing that because, A, I just don't trust Len Wiseman. Uh, <laughs> but, B... <laughs> Just because you, so I guess I, to answer your question, I, that doesn't do enough for me because just because we now have better CGI and such doesn't mean that I would actually have faith that he would understand what made that original property so good. From the trailer alone, it looked like he didn't. Yeah, so I, that's why I'm staying far away from something like that. So, yeah, you like you said, you'll see it mostly these days in the genre of horror and sci-fi. Um, because of the fact that I do think a lot of people want to revisit these properties with better effects and such like that. Because um, that's why, I mean, drama is something that kind of transcends time. So that's why Ocean's Eleven is also kind of a peculiar thing. Not that that's a straight-up drama, but it's the kind of thing you wouldn't think get remade. And that's also what I think made, made, made it perfect. Well, and sometimes I feel like just a lack of original ideas in Hollywood can sometimes lead to in my eyes anyway, sometimes it's just refreshing to get an updated version of an old movie because I'd almost rather get that than a shitty original idea, yeah. if that makes any sense. No, that, that's definitely the current trend these days. <laughs> that's the reason why remakes keep on getting funded. Yeah, and I get that. And, and I'm not a proponent. Like I'm not somebody who would like to see that all the time, but mm-hmm. yeah. sometimes I would just much rather see a good remake even if it is shot for shot of the original. Yeah, no, there's something to be said about like if something exists and it works, then why not try it again? Mm-hmm. However, that should not be the basis for making the remake. Like you yeah. you need to bring something else into it. That's like kind of where I come up with the whole it needs to justify its existence we're talking about robocop again yeah like you need to bring it to the modern age and also have that influence how you're going to make it like it can't just be updated so that's pretty much my thoughts so kenny you were broaching a bunch of questions interested to know what your favorite remake is after kind of bringing up your thoughts on what a good remake could be or should be well unfortunately like, I, I kind of touched on it, and I said, I realized that almost every movie that I saw that was on the remake list, I haven't even seen the original. <laughs> so I've got some movies that I really enjoyed, um, but I, I hadn't seen the originals to even compare them to. I really enjoyed Taken of Pelham 1, 2, 3. I don't know, what you, did you guys see the original? I've never seen the original. I saw the remake, and it was okay. I, yeah, I was going to say, I've never seen the original, but I, I have seen the remake, I, I thought sadly. that. I thought that <laughs> I, Heat, I, I didn't even know Heat was... <laughs> A, a remake? Is that really? I don't. Think yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I, no, it, it was on there. I mean, I, it could be totally wrong. I but. believe Heat is based on a, a property by Michael Mann, but a it's it's not a remake. What it is is, and I I'm fuzzy in the details myself, but I am a man fan, and, um, <laughs> and so I do know a little bit. But I believe Heat is basically a reconstructed version of a thing that he wrote for television 
like a decade prior. So it's not really a remake because A, it was his own stuff. Like, you know, he's just going back. Just like he made the movie Miami Vice and he also helped, uh, he directed the pilot of the 80s TV show Miami Vice. Mm. So it's not so much, uh, like that's an actual remake because that's the same property. He was just like, he took the idea and he's like, you know what, I can do this much better and do it much differently. So I feel like there's some kind of credit there as far as like based on his original work, but it's it's not really a remake. Well, I guess this also kind of follows the same guidelines of, of just being out of original ideas. I mean, he isn't that original of a, of a storyline. Yeah, it's got that very... It's, there have been others like it, yeah. and it's just derived from something that already exists. And, you know, some of the movies that were on my list I can enjoy as remakes without being entirely different from the original because yeah. what do you do with something like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or or a Amityville Horror you know it's... yeah I can't wait for uh, the remake of Saw in 10 years yeah. I can't wait for the remake of Speed yeah. <laughs> is, the, that um... is that gonna happen no That's I, what I was know. gonna say you know it's gonna happen I, I, we're joking about it now but then like a month later no if crap. anything what's gonna happen is they're just gonna be like Speed 3 Mm. Somebody very important is going to be listening to this episode, and you're just you just giving them the idea. Please Boom. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, but even we're talking about remakes. You look at a lot of movies that are coming out today. They're basically trying to rip off old movies that were made, and they're even in the same genre, like that that new Terminator movie, Terminator Genesis. Genesis quoi? That's trying to like rip off of everything in the Terminator like realm from the first two movies, and sort of gloss over that even in the x-men movies they were trying to rip off things i was gonna say we don't even really have a remake fetish as america but what we do have is like this i guess desire to be overly familiar with it i mean that's why Mm -hmm. liam neeson has been in the same goddamn movie for the past (laughs) five years like for the most part they're the same exact thing they're not even remakes technically because they're obviously different properties but that's why remakes are still funded to this day is because just like Liam Neeson can do the same thing over and over and over. People want to see. What's the name of that Liam Neeson movie where he's a writer and there's like, um, oh, oh. The, the one with James Franco. Yeah, yeah. I know, like I know what you're talking about. Uh, first person or second, yeah, third person, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. something person. Yeah, that movie is like it would be so awesome if it was like Liam Neeson writing a script for an action movie like Taken and well, he's starring in that movie. It's funny you bring that up simply because that got like a, I don't know, like. a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes not literally but it was so badly received that unfortunately it's no wonder why studios aren't they don't keep uh, they don't keep cashing in on Liam Neeson's action stuff that's why we have another run all night this year and not another non-stop because non-stop was amazing okay anyway Woody you guys you guys got favorite remakes um I, I um I'm gonna pull mine out of the bag, but pretty much everyone's gonna jump on me and tell me how horrible it is. But don't you dare say RoboCop. I we already talked about RoboCop, no. and you know I do like the RoboCop remake. You'll probably actually hate the movie I'm gonna bring up more than RoboCop. I can't wait. Um, I'm ready. It is the uh, the Poseidon remake. I'm the only person who actually liked it. So I the fuck? Actually, yeah, that's right. The fuck? I, I was expecting that's your favorite remake. I've never seen any. I haven't even seen it. I, I I feel like I have not. And we're talking about the criteria of what we're right, what we're right. going with here i have not seen many of original and remakes of right. films and i have seen both of those and not that i think it's better than the original because i i don't but i enjoyed the uh the reboot with it with uh, josh lucas who is a i feel like if we were remaking something like that which is almost campy in a 
in its own right. I mean, the original too. Yeah, that's that's fine because you're not remaking Shakespeare or whatever. You know what I mean? Like if you if you're remaking something that it's already daunting to remake, then you that's when you need. That's why something like Ocean's Eleven really worked because he was remaking something that nobody really could conceive a remake to be. All he had to really do was create a new heist movie, but he didn't because he was acknowledging his influence. So remaking something like Poseidon, I actually think that's pretty much the way remakes should be. Where We take these little-known, well, not little-known, but... Yeah, it was Gene Hackman was the main character in the original, so... little-known, but I would say smaller fare as far as like thrillers and such go, and we just try them one more time and just see if they stick this time type thing. Which it didn't, and most people panned <laughs> right. it, and that's fine. I, you might figure out listening down the line, but I have a soft spot for any movie that happens on a boat. So um, <laughs> Poseidon was right up my alley. So you like Speed 2. <laughs> I actually can watch Speed 2 and not think it's horrible. Where most, And it is, for the most part, a terrible movie. Willem Dafoe is giving a ridiculously bad performance. <laughs> so, aww. aww. I don't know. You ever seen that movie? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like Speed, so why would I watch aww. Speed 2? Well, yeah, that's... But it, it was weird in Speed 2 because there was this really bizarre turn where you find out that Willem Dafoe bathes in leeches every night, which makes no <laughs> sense. So, I mean, you know, let's not judge someone. Yeah. yeah. To be creepier than he already is. Don't knock it, man. Don't knock it till you try it. That's right. Oh, boy. Moving on from Speed 2. Yeah, I'll just say I like Poseidon and um, I like I like movies on boats, but not Speed 2 so much. Toussaint, what about you? Okay, so I've been looking up my two choices for my favorite remakes because you kind of just sprung this question on me before we well, started. That's, that's because your phone was broken. I'm sorry about <laughs> I, that. I texted you last night, so it's <laughs> not my fault. All right, no problem. Um, I don't know if the, the two films that I'm referencing right now actually technically like count as remakes, but I think I'm going to argue why they do. Let's just say no. <laughs> Shut up. Anyway. Let's get you back to that campsite, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? Uh, that's from uh, The Last Man on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my the, God. The new okay. show on Fox. Okay, now I have to see that. <laughs> okay, I have to see that now. Okay, so my first choice is the 2000 film um, Shaft with uh, Samuel Jackson. Even though it's not technically a remake, it's technically a last installment in the Shaft series. And the character that... Samuel Jackson plays is the nephew of the original John Shaft. I enjoy that film mostly because of a, I'll, I'll admit it, it's a nostalgia factor because I went to go see that film with my dad and that was actually the first rated R film I ever saw. Totally understandable. Yeah, and also I really enjoy it because it's such a, it's a good film for Samuel Jackson because he is the, the prototypical abrasive, um, no-nonsense, laser-focused, like, black actor of his time, of, of pretty much... Yeah, modern, it's pretty, pretty much him and Denzel. Although Denzel's a little more more mellow. Yeah, he's more, he's a little more like 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 smoldering kind of kind of like, like. But but if you want to have an angry black person in your movie, they're probably going to be the two persons who are on the top of the list. And but. that's exactly what the makers of RoboCop were thinking. <laughs> and the reason why I like Shaft so much is just having the 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 benefit of of hindsight and foresight, knowing that Samuel Jackson is pretty much playing like proto Nick Fury and Christian Bale, even though American Psycho came out that same year in January, whereas Shaft came out in June, he's pretty much playing, he's still riffing off of that whole Patrick Bateman, but also sort of a proto Bruce Wayne vibe about him too. So yeah, that's why I like that. Okay. Also my second choice is John Carpenter's a thing. 
I know that it's not technically a remake, but it comes from the same source material of the 1951 film, The Thing from Beyond, or The Thing from Outer Space, and that's one of my favorite sci-fi horror films of all time. So. Oh, wow. Okay. I was going to ask, just real quick, yeah. what, what's going on with the Ghostbusters situation? Are they rebooting? Uh, Dude, I don't want to even... That's, that's another... Is that, is that a different episode? Well, there's... Well, I mean, there's an hour in itself. Last I heard, they were rebooting it with an all-female cast, but oh, they were are? also going to oh, remake it. But no, no, there's it. a rebuttal coming from another studio who's going to have an all-male right. cast. Right. And yeah. I, I didn't know if that was the remake. Because God, or... uh, God forbid women do some Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> Only God forgives. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be funny when they come out the same week and they go up against each other. That would actually be awesome, by I'll, the way. I'll take but... that as a, we'll wait for another I'm, I'm going to stay off the internet that week. I cannot, I cannot deal with that. Yeah, so that's that's a remake that probably doesn't need to happen, but that's okay. Harold Ramis wait, is dead. Hmm? Both of them? I don't need to see any per- person ghost busting. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, it's been 20 years, guys. Let it go. I falls into something that I would be interested in seeing a remake. Okay. Simply because... Once again, okay, and this may be blasphemous, but I never thought that Ghostbusters itself was some kind of modern, well, not modern, but some kind of comedy classic because I find parts of it funny, parts of it ridiculous. Parts. I think it's more well known for having its like famous lines or famous parts, like the the fucking huge marshmallow man or something like that. Yeah, right, you no, a god. It's very iconic. So no, that's why I'm saying like actually, that's why I'm saying like it's actually I think ripe for a remake because I feel like. That script actually needed a second pass through. Okay, but what I missed that chance. We we talked about that with RoboCop and they're shoehorning in. I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. I'm talking about Terminator Genesis, where in the trailer they're beating the dead horse of the Come t- with the, me if you want yeah, to live. The two lines that have been I'll used be in, back. in every single movie. You, you don't think gonna, Ghostbusters is gonna do the you, exact same exactly. thing? You don't you don't know what I'm gonna say to you, do you? No, I Ghostbusters guess not. is a comedy. It's supposed to be winky and funny and whatnot. Okay. So I'm just saying like Robocop is was taking itself so seriously that it had no room for jokes and yet it still tried to and it was not cute, it was not funny, and boom, that's all I gotta say about that. Okay. Well, another remake real quick that I'm yeah. hopeful happens that's also a comedy National Lampoon's Vacation. I, yeah, I that is coming That's up. happening? Is it? Yeah, yeah that's it's, like... Uh, it's already completed. It's yeah. coming out later this year. And it's written by the guys who wrote uh, Horrible Bosses, um, John Francis Daly and so Oh, man, else. I just watched Horrible Bosses 2 the other day. I, yeah, but... I'm sorry. That's, but that's a... <laughs> comedies are another thing, though, because, yes, you can kind of reboot, you know, comedic sensibilities. So I don't know that I'm that excited because I've never really liked any of the National Lampoon's movies. I like I like individual gags and such, but mm-hmm. to actually sit through an entire one is kind of tiring for I me. I did just find a remake called The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Should we discuss that? <laughs> no. Okay, let's move on. That actually had two different films that at is, different... That, there was a 1969 and a 19... 19- I mean, I can see why they didn't get it right the first time, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't just know why. Just an Atari with like fucking tennis I just don't know why they tried it again. On a stick. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, well, I think on it's that time note, to end this. Yeah. <laughs> on but, that note, I think we'll move on to the uh, main review for this and episode. And thank you, Caroline, for sending in that email. Yes, thank very you. much. So thank, thank you. you. And anybody else, more. if you want to send in any questions about previous episodes or... Um, thoughts on on the future episodes yeah you, you are more than welcome to do that if or, you want us to review both versions of the computer war tennis shoes email us and also send us the two versions probably on vhs <laughs> they're probably out of print yeah <laughs> on vhs tape or it's actually in like film yeah. yeah and the vhs player <laughs> So this episode is about the film Prometheus uh, in the 2012 
science fiction thriller follows clues of the origin of mankind as a team journeys across the universe and finds a structure on a distant planet containing a statue of humanoid head, of a humanoid head and stone cylinders of alien blood. They soon find out that they are not alone on this planet. This film was surprisingly directed by Ridley Scott and stars uh, Nomi Rapace. Rapace, 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 whatever, Rapace. however you say her name, Michael Fassbender, uh, Idris Elba, Guy Pierce, and uh, Charlize Theron, everyone's favorite actress. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie, <laughs> what? No, it's certainly Tucson. Yeah, yeah Tucson. Tucson has a lot to say about that. Loves yeah. him some Charlize. <laughs> I have more to say about the actual film. We all watched uh, Prometheus together last week. And we did. I heard at least 20 comments about Charlize Theron from... Uh, Tried to watch it around his boner for Charlize <laughs> Theron. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Please, there are children listening. <laughs> so anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, this was Ridley Scott's uh, 2012 film. He's had a film in each of the last two years now, including The Counselor and... Uh, Exodus, two of Modern the worst films I've seen yes. in quite some time. They were both very bad, uh, and Prometheus is interesting because it has uh, a lot of divided thoughts on it. And one panelist who has a lot of thoughts on it, and we are going to go out of order because this is, I think, Tucson has to start on this for this episode. Oh. Let, let, let's just have him take the floor and start off. Now, you have to give your overall, <laughs> don't get too specific, okay. because I know you're a little nitpicky no, on gonna, this movie. I, I've been thinking about how I'm going to open this. Well, let's, let's let you do that then. Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm a huge sci-fi fan. I love the Alien series. And Prometheus was one of my most highly anticipated films of 2012 when it came out. I was floored from the very first trailer that came out. I even joked with you before, I'm not sure if that was on, on mic or not, that I thought that the, the first trailer for Prometheus was one of the best sci-fi films of the past five years. Um, and I kind of still hold to that opinion because it's all of the best parts of the film and hmm. none of the... Uh, the pretentiousness, right? Are you just so I know? Are you talking about like a true trailer or the one that includes the scenes from the um, the TED Talk? No, not the ones from the TED Talk. I'm okay. talking about I the just... the first one that has um, the the that's pretty much made okay. as a as a remake of the original Aliens teaser. Gotcha. All, all the way down to like the uh, the screeching like high frequency like like screams and stuff like that. Um, I went through. Every single one of the five stages of grief when I watched this film. I went from anger, I went from depression, I went from bargaining, and eventually to acceptance of this film. And, I, and, and here's, the, here's the, the messed up part about this film, for me, is that I've, I don't think I've thought about a film as much as, as Prometheus in the past like couple of years. And that's because I'm trying to understand... What it is about this film that I don't like it like about it because when you put it all on paper, it should make sense. This is an original sci-fi idea that's inspired by the Alien franchise, steered by the guy who started the Alien franchise, with H.R. Geiger, one of the most iconic like like concept artists, coming back to actually provide stuff for that. We've got Naomi Rapace, we've got Michael Fassbender, we've got Idris Elba, we've got Charlize Theron, all these really great actors. And the set designs are great, and the costumes are cool, and the ideas are really big and profound, just like that, that kind of tone of sci-fi that I absolutely love. There are so many things about Prometheus that I love, 
besides the film itself. <laughs> the film itself, and I'm not trying to be a nitpicker picker here, no. but it's because watching the film, it feels like it's caught in the grip of an identity crisis. It does not know what it wants to be. And the only way that I can really whittle it down is like what is owed to the fact that I do not like this film is just the, the editing decisions and the directorial decisions of Pietro Scali, of, of Ridley Scott, and yeah, even to the to the writing credits of Damon Lindelof, it's uh, it, it's a it's a it's a pale shadow of what it could have been because it did not know what it wanted to be. Good start, heavy stuff from Toussaint. Uh, I guess we'll uh, go back to Nick, where we usually yeah, start with. And... Please do, because my my is very shallow <laughs> <laughs> compared to that shit. <laughs> no, uh, it's funny you say that because uh, mine will be too. This is man, I everything you just said, I agree with however i actually enjoy the film i and that's okay yeah no it's it's one of those things where like i don't like when i watch it i don't pay attention to it i just watch it like i just seem to see that's the trick right don't think about it and somehow i feel like uh ridley's got pulled off that magic trick for me because of the fact that i'm like i i the use of uh cgi and the effects and just the kind of means on scene in every single scene i mean i'm sorry but at least, every, I think most of us can agree, like, the production design is gorgeous. It is. That kind of stuff. Um, it, it's like bells and whistles because it did successfully distract me from all the glaring problems. <laughs> and it does every time I sit down to watch it. I've only seen it. I think of actual bells and whistles, <laughs> like like David just, like, taking yes. bells and whistles and, like, kicking them seen, around. Have you ever seen, you know, in uh, Zoolander where uh, Will Ferrell's got the lollipop <laughs> in the Malaysia brainwashing yeah, video? Yeah. Like, that's me when I watch this movie because I'm just sitting in front of it going, oh, yeah, yeah. What oh, a gorgeous yeah. Blu-ray. Exactly. And, Look at um, him shoot that basket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems so, so awkward before you find out that he's just a robot. He's just, <laughs> he's just riding his bicycle and he shoots the basket. <laughs> that, that would be like a start of a Stanley Kubrick movie. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. What is this? So, yeah, this is one of those movies where, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with every... Well, I, I would say this. I agree with almost every criticism okay. lobbied at it. There are some things that I actually will fight you on if I hear you bring them up. Okay. Uh, but we'll, of course, get into that later. But okay. I think... Some people, not everybody, but I think some people, when it comes to the negative dissent that was lobbied against this film, I feel like they kind of missed the point. Okay, you have uh, Ridley Scott directing this, okay, and of course that harkens back to, what were you going to say, Alex? I was only going to say about Ridley Scott that he's in a dr- drastically different place as a filmmaker. You mean he's a hack now? Well, I won't go that far. <laughs> I'd but... go that far. <laughs> okay, but when he made... Uh, the original Alien, when he made like Blade Runner, that was a yeah. totally different filmmaker than what we have today. Yes. So he didn't he have was... so much of an ego. <laughs> that and also, like obviously, he would be so good because he was coming up with amazingly original sci-fi ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it says so much that he is directing Prometheus because that's all he's got left now is just to redo the same thing. Um, but what he does with this film is like it it doesn't all work like you say like it doesn't all work together but for the most part i feel like some people are kind of forgetting the origins of this franchise itself he directed alien okay mm-hmm. alien is the one out of the four that's kind of the most uh, influenced by the horror genre it was a horror sci-fi film first mm-hmm. i mean there are literally the premise of the first one which is one of my all-time favorite films and that's like a five-star film for me and i don't even love sci-fi that much mm-hmm. um, but or horror movies I was going to say or horror <laughs> movies so mixing the two together and somehow he made a movie as good as it did that's how you know that I love that movie 
Um, but that movie, the premise is literally just, you know, an A-Wave is on board and they're mm-hmm. trying to survive and whatnot. So the idea when I hear these ridiculous people say, like, why did she run in, uh, to the left or the right instead of a straight line? And, like, okay, these are the exact kind of things that you would shout at any horror movie. Why did the person go upstairs in the same room as the killer? Mm-hmm. Because it's a horror movie and they have to fall into these tropes. And you know what? It's it's just a thrill ride. And it's a, it's a, you know, like I said, it's an amusement park ride that I actually want to go on every once in a while. Like, I agree that it doesn't really work, but as far as entertaining me, it pretty much does. And I think most of that comes down to the fact that there is one, I think, truly wonderful aspect of this film. And that's, of course, Michael Fassbender's character, both in his performance. And that's the only time where I thought that it did not crumble under the weight of its themes. We can all agree on that. Like, yeah. he's the strongest performance of that entire so, film. So, yeah, I, I have more to say and whatnot, but uh, I will pass it off to Kenny. Yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of jump on your coattails here from what you started as. Get on and, it. <laughs> uh, seeing as how I am the the more superficial of, of, of the reviewers <laughs> on, a, on a constant basis, um, my, that, that's exactly how my review is going to go of this. Uh, right from the get-go, the, the color... Of this film, like the color, the the settings, everything, the the CGI, just that opening scene is just it's gorgeous, stunning, yeah, stunning. Um, and and I just never really get past that the entire time I'm watching this movie. I, I'm just blown away by by that kind of stuff and the effects, but but also the uh, the the score of this movie. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I absolutely love the theme. I love it. Like every time I hear it, it just it just hits the spot for me. Which I don't theme? Know. Are you talking about the the, the John the, Williams Jurassic Park trumpet theme? Yes, yes. But that kind of stuff, like I'm actually I, all the way on board with Kenny. I I'm love just, it. I'm yeah, just a total right. sucker for those kind of themes. Like so, it, for me, it just you know I've got those two. It, it's got that Star Trek uh, space exploration vibe to it. So I I agree with I think what Tucson is saying, which is it's a little mismatch for this kind of horror fest, but. but I am a person who truly did actually love it. And I will say, too, it has that kind of chorus line to it, the main theme does, that it's one of those things like the Avengers theme song, where if you heard it, you would know what it was going to. Well, the feel of the music is very dark and eerie and unsettling, just like the colors, just like the colors of this movie. and. Tucson, I, I know you're you're making a face at everything everybody says. No, I'm making a face specifically about this because this is actually one of my points about the film. But well, go ahead, the, jump in. Whoa. It, it's it's God, it feels like it's just all unraveling for me. It's just like I I, <laughs> hey, I, I hey, really hey, look realizing look right at me. now he yeah, likes it's this gonna movie. be okay. Are you the captain now? Look at me. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> hey, all right. Okay, anyway, take a deep breath. I was like, I I will agree with you that I think that that's a really cool theme. I think it's mismatched and misused in the actual film itself. Because when you're talking about the sound design, like, I agree with you that there are these really cool, menacing, like, sci-fi synthesized soundtracks part of it, right? But then we get to that trumpet theme, the Jurassic Park John Williams theme, and in every scene that it's used in, like, after the first scene, just feels so out of place. Like, when, when Elizabeth Shaw is repelling David's... Are we going to go into spoiler territory in this? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. When she's repelling David's like like body. Whoa, out of... whoa! I hadn't finished the movie. I thought you were just gonna. <laughs> you finished the movie. Shut up. Out of the derelict or whatever. That seems really He's awkward like... when she puts his head in the bag like a, bowl, like Which, a bowling ball. If you were <laughs> if you were to watch the special features, you would know that, it, thing. that that is not the was not the original intended way that the scene would go. That oh she... really? Yeah, I don't. I think the special features scene. 
there it, he does not have that smiling face as he's zipping up his head. It's like yeah. he doesn't realize the camera's still on him. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just like, "Yep, what's up? Okay." okay. Anyway, just looks like a baby. When down that there. theme like comes on while she's like, "What are you really searching for?" It's like I'm searching for answers, and I was like, "Am I really supposed to be inspired by this?" Everyone on the Prometheus is dead. The ship is destroyed. This alien thing is dead, and you've pretty much like crashed the entire thing. You're pretty much just like marooned on this planet, and I'm supposed to be hopeful. This is one of those things where I disagree with you, okay. but it's also the exact same thing that I said about Chappie, mm-hmm. and so therefore I completely understand where you're coming from as okay. far as like when it when it doesn't work like that, it just doesn't. I'm okay with it because I guess probably because I'm just giving the film less credit to begin with as far as like I don't think it is a good film, mm-hmm. so I'm not zoning in on those kind of details. Uh, however, I will say I feel like the, the Trumpet score does fit in with this idea about wrestling with these great themes that are way beyond human consciousness and you know way beyond your graph so when you think you're face to face with because i mean i'm thinking of a particular scene like um i believe it's played when uh david the android uh finds the cave that makes sense because he's actually in a scene of discovery he's exactly. finding something that's just- it's literally a larger-than-life scene when the orrery, which is what's, what the room is called, when it right. just, like, erupts with all those holographic, like, images and all these space nebulas and shit. That's, which, that's appropriate. Exactly. So I do. I, I agree with you as far as it could have probably been more restrained. Like, it didn't need to be used as much as it was. Um, going off of that, though, really quick, I just want to say, I saw this movie the first time when it was in the original run in the theaters, and I saw it in the, uh, in the IMAX big screen in 3D. And... I'm sorry, but that was actually that's probably one of the reasons why I still like this film as much because I have memories of that being like one of my top three 3D experiences. I would ever. love to see it. I bet way. it's even better in IMAX. Yeah, I, it, it was fantastic. So I do have a little nostalgia just going from that. And once again, though, but that gets to the root of my problem with the movie is that I do I think it's so gorgeous and I love watching it from scene to scene. But that's because I'm not really paying attention to mm-hmm. all this uh, stuff. Well, we're talking about scenes that are awesome, and I'm assuming this scene was great in 3D. But when David stumbles upon the alien spacecraft that's still there, and they have the hologram scene with all the yeah the Ori yeah yeah. yeah. That's what he was, yeah. When, when they have that scene happening, I'm assuming when watching that, there's this a perplexing, amazing scene. To That's the see. money shot of the film. Yeah. However, when you want to talk about, like, if you wanted to get nitpicky, that scene is fucking ridiculous. So that's fine. So In what way? Just uh, if you wanted to, like, get nitpicky with it in terms of, like, having this hologram that has all of the, you know, things happening around it. And he reaches up and grabs the earth out of there and is holding it in his hands, which makes absolute no sense. Mm. But I feel like that's, I think that's kind of where I go in on this movie is that I know that things are ridiculous and shouldn't right, be able to happen. Right. And there are, you could get nitpicky with almost every single action in this movie. But it's a movie still, and it's a science fiction, science fiction thriller. Right. And I, I honestly ate this movie up. I loved it. I saw it for the first time last week, and I was a big fan. The closest point of comparison to how I feel about this movie um, is how I feel about the movie Lucy, which came out last year. Which is <laughs> Jesus. Well, uh, I just made a face. I couldn't vocalize that. I just made a face. Go right ahead. Yeah. Neither movie I take seriously, and that's why Lucy works a little bit better in my okay. opinion because it doesn't demand to be taken seriously I don't think Prometheus obviously does I think Prometheus takes itself way too seriously and that's part of the problem that's why I don't love it but yeah. um, but however when I, when I watch it I don't take it seriously so therefore I just kind of enjoy the ride and so when, yeah when we get nitpicky about that kind of stuff it's kind of like well okay so if the film didn't have that would it be better my biggest problem with this movie is just 
it's 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 not an underlying current. It's it's absolutely the premise of the movie is the whole religious aspect of it. And me just not being a religious person personally, like I just I didn't put any stock into that whole part of it. So for me, my hang up with this movie that doesn't allow me to like it as much as I could is just the, basically the storyline itself. But as far as all the the visuals and musically goes, I, I was all on board. But what do you guys think about? This? I was I was totally on board with all like the the religious things. I think the problem is, is that they spent so much time on the actual mission, which is totally fine. But when you have that early scene in the film where she's having the vision of her father, which for some reason is played by Patrick Wilson, who's a somewhat major actor, who's only in like 30 seconds of this movie. He was in more scenes, but they got cut out. Yeah, well... That's that's typical of this film. Yeah, (laughs) but I I feel like for me, that was something where her kind of you know faith and coming with the you know faith being tested by the aliens Mm -hmm. and a lot of sort of religious things happening oh she can't have a baby and she's impregnated by these she's a christian her boyfriends and atheist things get wacky yes she gets pregnant and then all of a sudden the abortion debate comes in because she has an abortion and she's there right at that three month period it's not not an abortion it's a cesarean uh no that's an abortion i'm sorry she get it out of me yeah I, i yeah but whatever um, that scene all. is intense. That's she, a, that's just the best scene in the movie, oh, right man. there. That that machine she went in, like, yes. cut that. That is a fantastic scene. Oh, man. That, and that's a great. Uh, that Alex is how you call back to a previous entry in a franchise, unlike RoboCop, by <laughs> doing something new with it, but also invoking the same spirit of what came before. Because that is a great uh, kind of homage to you know the chestburst. Yeah. yeah, to the chestburst. Yeah. As far as like. How can we give the fans what they probably want, but also not give them to them the way they were expecting, considering it is a horror film at the end of the day. So that's, that's for me, that's why that was my favorite scene, because they pulled that off wonderfully. There are a lot of Easter eggs in this movie um, going off of that. Literally, because it's a Christian film. Ooh. <laughs> I'm getting away from the Christianity a little bit. but I want not, to talk not, about the Christianity for a second. But I'm, I'm going to stay with it, though, because of the uh, one of the main characters who is revealed is still alive is the character played by Guy Pierce, who we Peter find Raymond. out we find out who is the entire reason that this mission ever happens. And there are small little Easter eggs throughout the movie, like the machine only being able to operate on a male instead of a female. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously not meant for Charlize Theron, it's meant for Guy Pierce if he needed some surgery or whatever. He has a horrible God complex, and I think the problem with this movie, not that I had, but if you by the Blu-ray, there are terrific special features, especially a ton of deleted scenes from this movie that give so many more answers than you could actually... He's not sent over like, preach it, preach it. Great, because what's the tagline of the film? Look, when when Alex sent us the picture of when he bought his copy, on the front it said, questions will be answered on a sticker. In the back it said, questions will be answered again. Just to reiterate, like, the most damning thing about this Blu-ray is that it does exactly what it says on the tin. (laughs) And that questions are answered, and why the fuck couldn't you answer them in the actual movie? Because that would be boring. Okay. Because it's not mysterious and magical, like editor Peter Pirecho Scali said. Lindelof okay. does not write answers; he only writes questions. But here, here's the problem with some of the the decisions in the movie that could be nitpicked. Like, why does Idris Elba fly the spaceship in there 
just on the command of her saying, well, they're going to kill him. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess they are. And he just drives the thing into the other spaceship. But that question is answered in the deleted scenes of why he he has a, like, 10-minute-long discussion with Nomi Rapace's character as to why that happens. And he pretty much tells her, I'll do whatever you say because I believe in what you're... I, so, I think for I me, it feels like the prime example of you're damned if you do and damned if you don't because okay let's say these scenes were actually in the yeah film. it would be a three-hour movie exactly and people are gonna be like oh it's so clunky and expositional and whatever so i'm not saying there isn't a happy middle ground because i definitely don't think this is a perfect film but uh i just feel like there's a reason why those things got cut because we don't need a 10 minute scene of idris elba explaining why he'll make some trivial decision at one point during the movie like i it's not a movie that has nuance to it, so therefore I don't care if they try to add it. It's, it's but, a film that doesn't have nuance to it, but it still aspires to the idea of nuance and to the pretension of depth that comes out of it. Like when I saw the deleted scenes along with the, 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 the commentary from Pietro Scali, I was like I, – I was literally like Elizabeth Shaw in the expedition when they find the corpses of all those engineers and they don't know what's going on. And I'm just like, oh my god. These are the remnants of an alien film, and they basically cut all around it. Like you're saying that these the expositional scenes weren't like necessary, but for every scene that was cut out, like that scene where he's talking about where where Javik is talking to uh, to what's her name to Charlize Theron's character, mm-hmm. there's an equivalent scene of exposition where he's talking about the theory of the the planet being like a military installation. Yeah, and instead that was that was replaced for that scene when he's just like slapping on his his spacesuit and he's just like yelling at Shaw about you know what this place is it's a military place he should have just like spoke to the camera then yeah well i think if you watch deleted scenes this could have been a much more of a drama than an action thriller it could have been i think an that's alien a, film. that's the thing is that it wanted to be more of a horror film so that way it took away all logic but from, it wanted to be a horror film right but w- getting back to the religious things that tucson wanted to get on one of the yes. deleted scenes that i think probably the one they absolutely should not have cut out is one of the most fascinating scenes should have been in the movie where they are having the discussion with the engineer who is awoken from the cryo sleep mm-hmm. and you actually see like a three to four minute conversation happen between him and david who speaks their language and Peter Wayland. And he's trying to convey to this engineer that I am, I, I made him, I made people, I can create life. I am I know a God you and God yeah. do not die. Right. And that's his line he has, which I feel, feel would give so much more context to his character. And even if it is a horror science fiction thriller, Without having even seen this scene, I would pretty much agree with you because I think the only thing that needed expanded on was everything that had to do with uh, the guy uh, Pierce character because because of the fact that they do save him for a twist uh, unfortunately they're not able to successfully build up that twist in my opinion there's like I was saying there's a lot of easter eggs but you need to see it the second time I mean like make it actually have impact like because what he does is kind of like oh yeah well I mean it is science fiction so duh Um, but going back to religion actually I guess here's another way that I'm approaching this is that I already uh, think that like 95% of all the films that deal with religion are inherently full of bullshit. So like for me, there's like no different. I mean, <laughs> there's only like a handful uh... of films that deal with religion in some kind of nuanced way. And if people want me to cite examples really quick, uh, Leon Moore Priest, which is a French film from the 60s. That's one of the best uh, religious debates and whatnot. Um, films like that, any Bergman film about a crisis of faith, uh, that's Ingrid Bergman, the Swedish director. Basically any foreign, like America, we have no idea what to do with religion. But, uh, 
But yeah, but I don't expect that from Prometheus because I don't even expect that from my neighborhood priest. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> okay. Well, a movie, and I haven't even seen it, but a movie like Calvary does a good job doing Actually, deal with religion. I'm glad you brought that up because I blanked on that, and that was one of my top ten favorite films of last year, and yeah. that was fantastic because that was actually giving huge weight to the idea of what what is and what isn't, you know, because of your maker or not, and um, that's that's actually a brilliant film. So <laughs> thank you for letting me talk about that. You're for welcome, Tucson. Please, I've been stealing the stealing the mic from you about religion and Prometheus. Okay. So you have the floor. So the, you are God. No, I'm not. Anyway, <laughs> the presence of religion in Prometheus is very much paramount because of the actual dating of the film, like when it actually takes place. It takes place between December 21st and January 1st of the year 2094-95, right? Idris so, Elba is literally decorating the Christmas He's literally tree. decorating Christmas And he's tree. smoking a cigar on a spaceship for some reason, which shouldn't happen. <laughs> Can I say one thing? And that as someone who loves the visuals of this film, yeah. if it took place around Christmas time, I'm very upset that we didn't get like a fully decked out Christmas lights across the entire ship. Like David dressed up as Santa Claus? Yeah, what I, would you like for Christmas? That would have been the greatest thing ever. I'm just saying, like, I'm... As nitpicky as I'm going to be, that's what I'm most disappointed about. <laughs> okay. Um, and as we referenced before with the whole like in alien impregnation and cesarean abortion thing or whatever, there's the idea of immaculate conception because yeah. Shaw could not give birth before, but because of this divine, malicious intervention, she gives birth to this brood of a monster, which is explained in, in, the, in the screenwriter commentary from Damon Lindelof that that's his idea of a proto-face hugger. And the thing that spawned at the end was supposed to be like a proto-human hybrid um, xenomorph. Not exactly the xenomorph that we see because... And, and what, 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 what I took from it is that the thing she gave birth to was like the queen of the xenomorph. No? No, no that's not what it is. And, okay. I will, and I will explain that with the connection between Prometheus and, um, and Alien, which is... Which, if you want to know what it is, you need to get the Blu-ray and watch and watch and read the Peter Whalen files because they couldn't fit that in the film. This was the kind of movie you need to do your homework with, kids. Exactly, and uh, I don't. Okay, anyway, um, the the planet that they land on in Prometheus, uh -huh. the, the designation is LV two two three, right? And if you actually like read and watch the Peter Whalen files, that's how you're going to say if you actually go to Google Maps. <laughs> no, <laughs> if you go to Google Maps, like, you'll see in the proximity of it. No, one of the most persistent questions that's been lobbying against Prometheus is why would Peter Whalen decide to fund this huge expedition to an alien planet on the whim of these two like archaeologists and and their their pretty much flimsy argument like tying together all these different it's also tablets. explained in the special features too that is that, it is <laughs> it's explained in the in the peter whalen files because like it goes through um shaw's interview with uh with peter whalen and he says like yeah i think she's naive and she's obviously a true believer but the reason why i'm funding this is not because of just this one thing it also happens that my engineers have been picking up um a signal from that very same system and he hones it down that it's not actually from planet LV-223, it's from planet LV-426. It's the moon of that actual planet. And that moon is the planet from Alien. Oh. It's the, okay. That's the connection between the two of them. That's so, like, he says, like, yeah, the only other person that knows this is David, but... He's my, a robot. My, my goal for going to this planet with them and actually funding this expedition 
is that I want to find a way to, to prevent death and if we have time to figure out what's going on with that planet as well. Prometheus and an alien take place roughly 30 years from one another where um, Prometheus takes place in 2095 and alien takes place in 2122. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's the buffer time. So it's, it's left to our imagination to kind of like connect the dots with, with all this cooperating evidence from the Peter Whalen files, which is only accessible on the Blu-ray. Well, you know, you talk about all this, like uh, the special features versus the actual feature film. And it reminds me of like Prometheus of like the Twin Peaks fire with me of the sci-fi genre, because David Lynch, the director of the, the, I won't call it spinoff movie, but the continuation of his canceled series, Twin Peaks, uh, that movie was a disaster, and we just... It was last, big in Japan. Yeah. We just last year got the entire mystery Blu-ray set, which I did pick up, and uh, it has the 90 minutes that he cut out of the already 2-hour and 15-minute uh, film. And it's, when you watch it, you're like, oh, so he cut out everything that actually made it recognizably Twin Peaks and uh, coherent as a movie. Replace Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me with Prometheus and Alien, and that's exactly it. Yeah. So do you guys feel like a lot of the backlash and negativity about this could not go away, but be watered down a bit if people had watched these deleted scenes and understood all this. I don't think they should have had to watch That's the deleted the thing, scenes. That, I can understand I, the anger because yeah. of the fact that you should never have to watch special right. features in order Just, to understand the actual film itself. It's not even about understanding, but they obviously shot and edited the deleted scenes before the feature film came out, right. and a lot of a lot of things that people did not like about the film would have been answered if they had kept mm-hmm. some of those scenes in. I so. mean, special features are great. Obviously, I'm a, a collector of the Criterion Collection, and the reason why those are so great because they give you special features that do enhance your appreciation of the film. But that's different because those films already work as you know an individual exactly. entity. So I, I do think that the backlash will never go do away. Do you feel like it would be a better movie if you sat down and watched a three and a half hour extended no, version of it? No, not, not and that's why I feel like people are a little nitpicky in, in my <laughs> not, opinion because it is what it is and unfortunately the changes that I hear most people wanting to make would only make it a worse movie. Like I'm not saying it's a perfect movie at all uh, but I feel like everything that most people complain about is kind of like so how would that make the film better in any way? My argument against that is that I feel like all the editing choices, the most recurring theme that I heard throughout all the director commentaries for the director commentary for John Spaves and Damon Lindelof. Or, By the way, the uh, Ridley Scott director commentary is horrible and don't, it's, even, it's, don't even bother it's with it. It's not worthy. And the, the, the editor commentary for Pietro Scali is that the main guiding principle for why they prioritize one scene or the other was how much mystery and magic it would invoke with the audience. It, it's like they literally said, it's like, yeah, this is a really good scene. Like, I'll go back to, um, remember the first death in the film? Yeah. When the guy gets his, his, his helmet melted off? Yeah, and the there, guy, there, it, there, there's two, two guys who are the kind of two stooges of the crew who mm-hmm. are left out there. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, they both die at the same time. Killed by okay. alien penises. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the scientist reaches out to pet the alien penis, penis viper monster. Slash, it's a horror sl- movie. Slash no, 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 no. Yeah. But there's a, reason for, there's, there's a reason why he actually reached out for that. And it's actually explained oh. in the director commentary, <laughs> which fucking pisses me off again. And I was like, if you don't, if you don't actually like, hear that commentary, you think this guy is just a dumb, dumb idiot. Well, but okay. the reason why, the reason why he reached out 
you remember that scene when they first worked, walked into the crypt and that woman just like stepped on the dirt and the, the, the worms came out? Right. There was an alternate scene on their way to the actual crypt where that guy was basically going for this whole expositional thing where he was just like, oh, wow, holy shit, there are worms in this mm-hmm. earth. We have never seen any type of life other than like, like on a gene level. On another alien planet. This is extraordinary. So it's kind of like propping up that whole, like, I'm just so enraptured by the fact that there's life on this planet. And the first thing, if you take that scene out, like you did, then he just looks like a jackass. Which, okay, but here's what I want to say, though. If you have that scene, does that not, and I'm just genuinely asking, does that not take tension out of him just leech? Because if you know why he's doing it, then at least you're thinking more logically. Instead of, like, going, like, I feel like, for me, if I'm asking, like, why are you doing that, then I'm actually going along with this ridiculous thrill ride. It literally just gave it that typical horror scene, dumb blonde going upstairs where the killer is. Yeah, Yeah. it felt like a dumb blonde moment. And I I think this film, I, I, I... I truly do feel like the reason why these kind of things were cut out because this film was, like you said, didn't know what it wanted to be. Doesn't know what it wanted to be. However, I think it was trying to distinguish between the two modes, which is you have your, you know, God conversations in the scene, and then you have your horror tropes, and they kind of coexisted side by side instead of trying to tangle up the two. For example, one of the best scenes in the movie, in my opinion, is the scene between um, David and... Who is the uh, the other guy on the ship that's not a very... Holloway. Holloway. Yes. When he is talking about, um, you know, like, meeting his maker and, like, wouldn't it be disappointing if... If it... you knew that you were just created exactly. just because they wanted to create you. But that scene yeah. works because it's not at all tied up into the horror, you know, mode of this film. Like, I, I guess I like the fact that I they... I think it is. They, they trip... It's, well, like, it's like an existential horror sort of yes. thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that, it works together. However, it's not like... He's also standing there with a knife behind his back or something like that. <laughs> like, there, there, there are two different films inside this film. And, Fighting for one another. Right, and that's why it's not a great film. Yeah. But uh, because of that, I feel like the reason why they made those cuts is because it simply just didn't want those to get too kind of tangled up in each other. Because then if you do that, then it's going to dilute both if you this, try to balance This them. movie was made targeted more to someone like myself who, as much as you're not going to like that, no, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I don't even Listen, agree if, if it was. If it was, it would be alien. It would be aliens. We're we're on a we're on a movie podcast, so chances are a lot of people who are listening to this are going to be probably more with you guys. But the the general public is going to be more like myself, where it's just more of the shallow sit down, get a get a bowl of popcorn, yeah, I mean, I mean, shut the, the fuck up, and just enjoy the movie. This was that, a summer movie. It was not a yeah. marketed to be a hardcore. That's science fiction. I, I think, you know, Toussaint, you're looking for that's the a confo- lot more. No, you're looking for the deeper meaning. That's the and... confounding thing about this film because... It, well, it, it begs for it, though, it is, to be honest. Like, it, I'm with Toussaint. The very it. premise itself is about the origin of life. Yeah. Like, if it's marketed toward, towards, like, the general, like, movie-going populace, I'm not going to begrudge it for that. But then that just goes back to my point that this is a film caught in the grip of an identity crisis in that it doesn't know if it wants to just be base, like, visual entertainment and high-minded sci-fi. The the way I feel about this film is if you're going to fail, fail like this because I want to watch this. Like, like it it doesn't work. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. But unlike a movie like Chappie, which is a sci-fi horrible, horrible I can take no gratification Um, from that film anymore. Yeah. 
unlike that film, which I feel like the the reason why Prometheus does work for me somewhat is the fact that it is truly only trying to go after one or two big themes. They're huge, way beyond its grasp. Yeah. But Chappie is one of those examples where it just goes like, oh, now we're talking about consciousness. Oh, now we're talking about artificial intelligence. Oh, now we're talking, and it just keeps going. And it's like, okay, why do we care after? It never goes substantially in one direction or another. So at least, despite the fact that Prometheus feel uh, feels uh, at least (laughs) Prometheus fails. At least it didn't, I would say, it didn't go further than it could have, I would say. You know, I can I can agree with that sentiment that if you're going to fail, fail big. And Boom. Prometheus is one of those films that does fail big. Yeah. Um, and at least it looks good doing it. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... Well, we were talking about a little bit about David's character. You mentioned before that he's gives the best performance, Michael Fassbender. I mean, does anybody here disagree? I I wouldn't. Yeah. I, we were talking about this yesterday that I feel like... I think the Captain Ahab person gave a really rousing speech when he... Uh, <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The guy who ended up like doing the crab walk and then like like going AWOL inside of the, the actual yeah. ship? I, yeah. yeah. I genuinely think that there could have been a masterpiece in the idea of centering the film around David. Yes. And eliminating most of it. Like, if you just stuck to that, despite yes. the fact that it wouldn't probably have reached the heights it wanted to as far as, like, cause what film could, you know, reach creator oh, and whatnot. It would have been a different film than either you and I would have thought, and it would have been spectacular. I can totally agree with yeah. that. So, talking more about David, I feel like he has a lot of, like, his voice, his voice and the way he talks... I feel like he is an advanced version of C-3PO, where he's basically a person who's supposed to communicate with other different things, which is basically what he does. He's able to communicate in all these different languages, but he is a artificial intelligent thing. However, I, I don't know why I, I keep thinking this, but since he is a, a robot and he's... He is, and spoiler alert, he, he makes it to the end of this movie, and sort of. Kind of. Yeah, he's he well. Gets he, ahead. he gets put put back together because more or less in yeah. one piece. Which it, the, the, in and of itself is that a callback to the original Alien film? Um, yeah, with, with what the characters? Oh, now I forgot. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Both of the the androids got ripped in half, right? For, for some reason or another. Yeah, it's just yeah. this time we knew who the android was from the very start. Mm-hmm. So this is going a little bit off of that, but he's a great character. Everybody likes him. Um, do we think he's going to show up in the fifth Alien film at some point? No, I think... Which which Alien film? The Neil Blomkamp movie? Right, not, no. the, not the sequel to... Which, no, that's... I mean, we just saw the news article the other day about how Ridley Scott gave uh, Neil Blomkamp notes about, oh, yeah, so these two major things that happened in your script uh, tread some of the same water that I'm going to be treading. Yeah, they do, so but... So don't include them. And Neil Blomkamp was like, okay, yeah, sure, Dad. You don't... <laughs> <laughs> You you don't think there's any possibility of any part of Prometheus I mean, ma- matching always... up in the fifth Alien movie? Oh no, any part of Prometheus for sure. Yeah. But I doubt Fastbender is going to make a cameo. Just if you've for gone Neil to Barnes all this film. effort to try to differentiate the two, <laughs> and then you're going to try and like do some like cross movie synergy again, I'm just going to be. I, I know you and a lot of other it's Alien fans that, would not be thrilled with. It's that. It's clear that despite the fact that this is a pseudo, I don't know prequel it's a sequel? it's a pseudo tangential prequel okay <laughs> despite the fact that it is what you just said sounds uh, awesome <laughs> sounds amazing it is clear that ridley scott is actually trying to do something different with the franchise whereas 
uh, Neil Blomkamp has already been on record saying that despite he's going to retcon some of the earlier entries, but he's going to try to make a new entry into the true Alien franchise. He's pretty much going to retcon the events of Alien 3 and Alien right. 4. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely don't think there's any chance of that. And if there is, I feel sorry for Michael Fassbender. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's I'm great. Sure. He's great in this movie, oh, and and fantastic. and the decision to keep him and Nomi Rapace, who are the most interesting people for me in this movie, yep. alive, so there can be a sequel. I think was a smart decision, and I hope that the sequel could maybe you know best the first film now that expectations are a little lowered, and just go with these near two dinosaur characters. bones. Yeah. Well, and we were talking about special features and things that get dropped in the special features. One of them is that the original title for Prometheus was Paradise. Aww. Actually, that's what you got from the from the Ridley Scott thing. Um, no, in the uh... in the in the deleted scenes, remember, like, what did the alien say to you? Is like, there's lots of different like translations yeah. for, it, but the word he said was that's supposed to be the projected name of the the sequel. Yeah, Paradise. well, but there, there was also an original title for the first Prometheus. Okay, so let's just say they're going to heaven or paradise or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. where the engineers are and they're living there. Which I would assume that's what the second film is going to be. Yeah. I feel like that is that 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 is even higher up to what this film was going for. And yeah, that's no, con- it's it's definitely it's it's huge. However, I will say if they can maybe somehow, okay, so if everybody is pretty much dead besides uh, Numi Rapace and Michael Fassbender, that gives me hope because, like you said, those are my favorite characters as well. Mm-hmm. So if they don't try to go big again as far as like having like eight different uh, crew members trying to somehow give because it's just going to be the two of them i would assume right and i'm actually kind of interested in that because i would want to see a film of just those two debating whatever they you know are going to now that they're going to go to this higher plane of existence that that actually makes me more excited uh for the sequel if that's what it's going to be hmm. as m- much of a, a of a conflict i have with this film i have to agree with nick that it, it almost feels like Stockholm Syndrome, I feel, with this film. Because I would totally go see a sequel for, to Prometheus for the same reason why I went to go see Prometheus in the first place. Because I'm really intrigued by the idea of a, of a sci-fi paradise viewed through the dark, twisted, macabre lens of like H.R. Geiger. Even though he's not alive anymore. I mean, his, his design motifs will still be recurrent in that. I'm really intrigued. I want to see that. But I'm reluctant to get excited because I know that I will probably inevitably be let down by Ridley Scott. And that makes sense because, as we mentioned, The Counselor and Exodus and a lot of his other recent entries have not really been up to par with his previous work. Even even films like Gladiator, which won Best Picture the year it came out, he was he was doing good work then, but it was still not the same as his you know origin work back in the 80s and early 90s and that kind of thing. Um, we we hit on the graphics in this film uh, quite a bit earlier, but I I wanted to mention it again because I feel like it, it 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 should be noted that the graphics in this movie are absolutely incredible. They are. I'm a person who normally hates like CGI ridden films where like that's the only trick they have up their sleeve. Mm-hmm. This I was like every time there was a CGI, I was like, "What are you doing, Ridley?" Uh, because <laughs> I just I it just a it looks so great. And for me, the trick of CGI is never to have to look realistic. It just has to look 
convincing, and this totally does throughout yeah. the entire film. And he just goes wall to wall with it, like every scene. Like instead of having, you know, it wasn't like Interstellar with somebody doing a uh, moving a dry erase board, uh, yeah, or something like that. Like <laughs> everything about this ship and this world is so high tech that you can only achieve this kind of movie with CGI, and it just it looked amazing. Well, and there were great practical effects too, like the all the thought that came into creating all of their suits and the lighting on them, yes. and the vehicles that they drive that are actually real. Yeah, I actually did not realize before I watched this film that I, I apparently I had like a helmet fetish because <laughs> every time I saw them put on that suit, I was like, "That's a really fucking cool helmet." And I want, <laughs> yeah, it is. I want one really bad. Yeah. So, what else? Uh, anything else anybody wants to bring up before we get to ratings about Prometheus? Do any of you guys know where they filmed any of the? I mean, I know. On the on the planet, <laughs> they actually went there. Like, like we said, really earlier, if you, if you go to that. Google Maps, you can find it. Yeah. Um, some of the early scenes in the film were filmed in New Zealand, Ireland, New Zealand. Okay. Yeah, New Zealand is like the end all be all of like fantasy sci fi mm-hmm. casting. Which, which, yeah, which makes sense. They had to run into Peter Jackson, who was probably in the middle of filming. Oh, I got some notes for you guys. I think you guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, Peter, we're good. Yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to make those mistakes. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. No, no, seriously. I feel like if you could stretch this out to like three different films, that no, Peter, shut what up. What if you put the aliens in barrels and then made them go down the river while fighting other aliens? Hey, man, box office fucking gold. That's what that is. Yeah. That is sad. <laughs> the saddest part is that was part of the uh, second Hobbit movie, which was by far the best of the three entries. Yeah, that Killian Tariel. That was cool. Huh? That was my favorite part of the film. I didn't give a shit about the fucking dragon or the gold or the dwarves or anything. I just wanted Killian Tariel to smooch. Well, since we've gotten a little off topic here, <laughs> I, I think it might be a good time to go to ratings and final thoughts on Prometheus. So we'll start with Nick and uh, hear what he had to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much that I haven't already said. I... I... <laughs> It's funny because I nitpicked, well, I wouldn't say nitpicked, but I definitely trashed this film quite a bit with Tucson and whatnot because I agree with everything he says. However, mm. at the end of the day, I'd rather watch this than quite a few other films. I mean, I give this three and a half out of five because it's just, I know. You know it's fine. Yeah. No, um, this is the kind of bad sci-fi I want to see. There is much better sci-fi out there than this, and that's for sure. But like if like I said earlier, if you're gonna fail, fail big and fail like this because at least this is entertaining to watch, unlike something that's just ridiculously incoherent. So mm-hmm. three and a half out of five, and I would recommend it, especially if you haven't seen it since uh, it came out in 2012. Because I feel like once you've let your guard down, you might get something more out of it by revisiting. Not gonna be so pissed about. Charlize Theron and her bum running in the uh, straight line. If that's what you got pissed about, then I feel sorry for you. I also think it's funny that a lot of the shots in this film are set up to have Charlize Theron's ass. Like, you see it walking away. Like, oh, and here's a shot of her walking away if you just want to look at her butt. Okay. I I, I didn't notice that, but um, now you're giving me a reason to rewatch it. (laughs) I know know Toussaint's a fan of the uh, Charlize Theron. Oh, (laughs) you dog. On that note, yeah. let's go to Tucson and hear his rating, which should at least get a half-star bump because of Tuc- or, uh, Charlie's Theron, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> before I give my rating, I have to preface this with how I think you should come to Prometheus because it's taken me this long to actually like have a favorable opinion of parts of the film. Mm. You have to think of Prometheus as like a Zen koan. And the way that I... I what, what a koan is, it's a riddle that has no answer. Like, the the example that I use is, like, the clap of 
Like, like the sound of two hands is a clap. What's the sound of one hand? If you read too much into Prometheus, if you, if you try to pull every single thread and try to understand why these plot holes happen, that way lies madness. I told you that when you started asking questions at the beginning. Yeah, well, I was asking questions about them not asking questions. Why, why are these people all on this, this planet and they just showed up on this cryogenic sleep mission? They just ask no questions. Just like, oh, yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Sign up for this. There's yeah. like a sign-in sheet at a scientific fair. <laughs> Want to join the Prometheus? Yeah, it's <sighs> like you don't do that. It's like really what you have to do is just walk into it and just accept it on the visuals alone and that it's a, a visual smorgasbord. It's a fun film like that. But otherwise, it's like a it's like a rushing nesting doll of confusion and frustration, just trying to put everything together. And you you'll never have all the pieces because the pieces don't fit, and the pieces that are missing are in the special features, which are only on the Blu-ray. So I'm going to have to give this rating. I've bounced back and forth on this. I'm still going to have to give it a rating of a of a 2.5. It's it's totally split down the middle because I there's a lot of things that I like about it, but ultimately I just don't think that it. It comes together as well as it should. So would you recommend this film or not? And here's the contradiction of that. I still think you should watch this film because as as bad of a film as I think it is, as shoddy of a film I think it is, it's one of the most important sci-fi touchstones of these past of this past decade. Hmm. It's like as a sci-fi fan, you should have an opinion of Prometheus. And everybody for the most part does. So Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So speaking of opinions, Kenny, what is your opinion and your rating? Dude, Toussaint, you you are exhausting to listen to this review <laughs> of this movie. I'm sorry, I thought you a lot about this movie. So hard to put thought into this movie. You just gotta watch this movie like me. Just exactly. Don't, I know. Just, I'm so just trying to don't say. give a shit. About I know. It. Sit down, yeah. watch it, take it in for what it is. Or watch the uh, scene where Shaw has the abortion or has the baby <laughs> or whatever. Like we were all watching it where we're all drinking beer and laughing because right. we're imagining her having to take a huge shit and he's just <laughs> yeah. struggling and you're like, Oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> Have a drink or two oh, <laughs> laugh God. at it enjoy it uh, it looks good it sounds good that, that's debatable i guess yeah you but yeah. charlie's their one looks good i mean I, kenny i'm gonna have I, to agree with everything that you're saying right now here's the thing here's the thing Tucson, because because clearly you're so on the fence that it still has you you you've been wanting to talk about this movie so you didn't hate it yeah and you just said you want to see the second one yeah so it's doing its job it's a movie it's doing its job yeah if you're going in looking for deep, deep meanings and looking for these answers... Don't go to this movie. Then don't do it. But for the most part, most people Which out there... Which is like a metaphor for the movie itself. Right. Whoa. Because they didn't get the answers they wanted. Uh, Whoa. But they kind of did, though. So Why oh. the answer they wanted? Hey, I got any answers I needed. I was happy with it. Yeah. I, I would give this... I'd give it a three and a half. Out of five, and I would absolutely recommend it. And when okay. the second one comes out, I will be right there to see it. Nice. Paradise, Kenny will be there. Day one, with his yeah. little flag, being like, woo! <laughs> We're all going to be going to Prometheus 2 and dressing up, and we will post pictures. Tonight. What are you going to dress up as? David, all of us. We're all going to have blonde hair. I'm just going to be the headless, or, I mean, the, the not the headless, but the, um, just the, <laughs> the bodiless head. version yeah, of him. Bodyless David. We'll put, like, a black... Frock on you yeah. or something like that. Alex, you can carry around a bowling bag, and I'll just <laughs> stick my head in there the entire time. I'm that... gonna go with Zidrus Alba. He was my favorite character. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> he will not be in the sequel. I know. I, know. <laughs> um, I was a huge fan of Prometheus. I only saw it for the first time 
Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I like, I don't like the aliens movies, but I'm not a like alien genre lover or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, I do like the first two alien movies and I really did like Prometheus. I, I liked a lot of the things it was going for. I, I'm always a huge fan of films that have high ambition, which I think you cannot go into Prometheus and say it does not have an ambitious plan, whether it is going to an uncharted planet or creating an entire race of people who are the creators of life or whatever. It's an ambitious plan, and of course it fails in some place, but I go back to the thing that it is science fiction. It's not science fact. It's not something that you're supposed to sink your teeth in and think, man, this is... This is real. And this even, could really happen. Yeah, and even though there are films that are like that, I, I, I go back to other like great science fiction films from the last decade. Chappie. Prob- <laughs> probably not that one. But even films that, and they weren't films that I really love, but a film like Looper, that's something that even though it is, you feel like it has somewhat realistic parts to it, you have to go in thinking, oh, yeah, so Incep- time travel is possible, and Inc- this is possible. Inception comes yeah. to mind instantly. I'm, I'm right there with you. It, you, you. Again, they're movies. You can't think too hard. Just let your mind go. Just let it yeah, go. Because if you spend the entire movie, I mean, if you wanted to nitpick, you can nitpick almost every minute of this movie. Right. What the fuck is David's deal? Why is he putting that drop in there? Why is he shooting basketball? Why is he dyeing his hair blonde when his hair doesn't grow? What the fuck is happening? However, I will <laughs> stick up for somebody like Tucson's point of view and say this is a movie that begs to be taken so seriously mm-hmm. that at some point it, it crumbles at the weight of its own theme. I mean, if, if you if you were making a little lighter fare and you weren't trying to go all out like Prometheus is, it's easier to go with the ride. I do with this movie personally, but I could understand why this would basically piss somebody off. And that that's fine, but I feel like I'm not, in the, not necessarily in the same boat as Kenny, but I go into science fiction movies not wanting to think too much about every single detail having to be accurate as to what it would be if it was could really happen. Like I want to watch a film that feels like it could be realistic. But and I've seen good science fiction that yeah. does that, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm on board with you, but I feel like for me at least, this doesn't do anything too outrageous that makes me feel like, oh, come on, that's like I feel like everything in this film, if you're believing in the universe that they are creating. It, there are parts of it that it's, don't it's make a, sense. It's but, a fantasy yeah. film pretending to be a sci-fi film. It's for me. Yeah. That's why it kind of works. It works so. for me, and I'm not going to like sit here and try to defend every part of it because every part of this movie is not defendable. Don't defend it. Don't, just watch it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give it a four out of five, and we're all gonna say you should watch it. So it's yet another entrant on the hit list. Um, right now, we'll move into our week in review, as uh, I don't know how much film viewing everybody, or TV viewing for that matter, everyone did this week, but let's find out, starting with Nick. I really did not watch much this week, but the one thing I did actually get around to was... Uh, that mean you watched eight movies? <laughs> no, Damn. literally, I have not watched a single film since, since uh, our last episode when we talked about Run All Night. I have not. Oh, okay. Um, all, actually, that's not true. I, <laughs> I rewatched Into the Woods. The, the I saw that. What the fuck are you doing? That was terrible. <laughs> Into man. the Woods. I have a soft spot for it. It's a, it's, a, it's like another Prometheus where like it's a bad movie, but I kind of enjoy I it. I could not imagine getting through that entire thing in one sitting ever again. Well, that's why I didn't invite you over. Um, wow. Well, 
But that's not what I wanted to talk about. Anyway. Okay. Uh, but the one thing that's really caught my eye this week is I did start uh, Netflix's new original series, Bloodline. Which and I'm trying to get my wife into watching it, and she I... was not willing yesterday. So I mean, I know, obviously, Bloodline. you know her better than I do, but I think she might like it. So. I, I think so, too. That's why I'm okay. trying. I haven't seen any episodes yet, but it looks intriguing to me. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question, Kenny, Bloodline is the um, yes, Netflix newest show. So all 13 episodes have dropped, and it's basically your average dysfunctional family drama. It, it centers around a, a somewhat wealthy family uh, in the Florida Keys who are basically trying to keep it together in the face of like their dysfunction. So the, the general catalyst is that it's the parents, you know, the patriarch and the matriarch's 45th wedding anniversary one weekend, and that's when the pilot opens up. And... Uh, the black sheep of the family, who's the oldest adult son, played by wonderfully, I should say, <laughs> uh, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, who's my favorite current working I was going to say, you've got a big old Ben Mendelsohn boner. I do, and I'm not afraid to admit it. You loved him in Black Sea. You loved him in uh, Killing... I didn't love him in Black Sea because okay. the script did horrible by him. Killing them softly. Killing them softly was great in Animal Kingdom. You loved him was... in Exodus too, right? No. Actually, kind of. He was, <laughs> I mean, he was in it, and he was kind of my favorite part of that movie. Okay. But, uh, no, he was my favorite current working actor, and finally somebody, since Animal Kingdom, I would say, giving him another meaty role to really chew into. So, it's, yeah, so it's about this uh, adult son coming back into this family's life after so many years of not, of course, being there. And it's it's a very withholding show. There are, um, every, almost every episode, I should say, has flash-forwards to where the story is eventually going to end up, you know? Because let's just say, without spoiling anything... The end of episode one ends with what you would probably consider to be the biggest twist of the entire season. So it's like, okay, so we know that that's going to happen. What is going to tip this family into this breaking point? And so that's what's part of the fun is. But I'm just eating it up. It's just an acting showcase. I mean, you got Ben Mendelsohn, Sissy Spacek as the mother, uh, Sam Shepard as the father, Kyle Chandler returning to TV after he was one of the greatest TV characters of all time in Friday Night Lights as uh, Coach Eric Taylor and uh, Linda Cardellini and also uh, from... Yeah, from... um, Freaks and Geeks. And she also was in... Wasn't she in Grandma's Boy or something like that? Yeah, we try not to think of her that way. (laughs) But uh, she was in uh, Freaks and Geeks, one of the greatest TV series of all time. So you have all... You have just an amazing cast coming together and just knock it out of the park. And I really think... When you watch the first episode, I, I feel like it does get better as it goes on. But one kind of litmus test to whether you'll enjoy the show is halfway through the uh, the first episode, there's a great scene in which the four Rayburn children, all grown adults, uh, are basically having a discussion whether Danny, the Ben Mendelsohn character, should be allowed to bring a date to the wedding anniversary party. And of course, all four of them have very different opinions, and they're arguing with each other and whatnot. And it goes on for like five minutes, and... That's your test. Like, I was loving that it was going on for five minutes because I just wanted to see more and more. And I read a lot of negative reviews that cited that scene as, like, the microcosm of, like, oh, God, this show is so indulgent because it just drags on. So Hmm. it is a show that is a little slow in some parts, but I feel like every episode truly is ratcheting up the tension of uh, this family that's just being undone by its own bloodline. Ratcheting. So uh, I heartily recommend it. I'm already watching Parenthood, so I don't got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you Sounds bring that like up. Sounds like an exact 
it is. Legit, to be honest, well, with no, you. it's it's like a show that starts off like Parenthood and then turns into a thriller because violence will happen. It would be like a Parenthood ended with one of the brothers murdering the other brother. I mean, it's just yeah. like this. It it starts off uncomfortably, you know, dramatic, and by the end of it, you're starting to be like, okay, so who's gonna beat the shit out of each other this week? So, so this is a truly dysfunctional family. Cause... Yes. And with Parenthood, at least they just touch on very real situations. Yeah. Now, Parenthood, they're like the greatest family ever because yeah. they have their problems, but they, right, they right. love each but other. They love each other. No, no, this is like, and not only that, but every episode is also because I've seen the first five now, and every episode is kind of centered around a different family member, hmm. and you're learning more and more, and there are secrets that some of the family members have from each other but i'm not just talking like affairs or something but like genuinely like oh so that explains why so it's know. not like a soap opera you're no, saying no 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 no. <laughs> they're more low-key secrets as far as kind of like oh so maybe that's why he turned out to be an asshole because that happened to him type yeah. thing it's kind of the thing that nobody's talking about because it obviously happened so many years ago but now they're all coming to to surface during this horrible week for them. We've already talked about this on this this podcast before, but uh, I'll bring up the question again. Do you guys think that Netflix is going to pretty much be owning the best television series in 10 years or something like that, where they have the money and the capabilities to pretty much have all of the best talent working for them, and they can put up endless amounts of stuff? Eventually. Sorry. Go ahead. Eventually, television has to evolve because... Google's going to get on this, Yahoo's getting on this, Netflix is getting on this, and cable just cannot keep up. Well, what is... Uh, I literally just heard somebody talking about this today. HBO Go, isn't yeah. that their version of streaming? Yeah, but that's just their content already that they already air. Right, but the, if they're dipping their toe in the water, I mean, I don't think it's going to be too long before everybody else is on board with what Netflix is doing. Oh, yeah, no. What you're, I think, referring to is the fact that HBO Go has been around for a couple years now. They're now doing HBO, I think, now or something like that, where you can now get just that without having HBO the channel. Right. Yes. So that is, yes. There's mobile versions of HBO and Amazon Prime. Where you no longer need a cable subscription to access HBO shows streaming-wise. So, yes, that is definitely indicative of where the future is headed. However, I don't think that Netflix, as of right now, it is not proving to me, despite the fact that I'm liking quite a few of the shows, Mm -hmm. that they right now have the... uh, I don't know, gumption to truly take over the same way that HBO did when that came around. Because that, what Netflix is doing is not that much different than what HBO is doing. It is in a medium sense as far as how they're delivering their content, mm-hmm. but they're in no well, way revolutionizing television no, the they, same they way that slight, cable did. They have a slight leg up on the com- competition right now, but I, I don't see why everybody else couldn't catch up. But even at. HBO, and I am a lover of HBO's oh, shows yeah. for the most part, I... Boardwalk Empire, The Sopranos, you can name Deadwood, all kinds of content that they've had. I ate up, but they're still on the same thing where they end episodes to get you to tune in next week. Where Netflix doesn't necessarily do that with their, right, but, you're, you're going to if you want to watch the next episode, you can just do that right now. But here's the thing: what do you hear people talking more about, Game of Thrones or or just the new black? But I, I'm, I'm not just saying. I, I'm, I'm not saying that they're there now, but I feel like the Netflix sort of brand of no, what they're doing is going to eventually take over. Unfortunately, what... I got to disagree with that because of the fact that Netflix's sole model is based on dropping the content day one. So that, guess what? People are not going to be talking about it a month removed, whereas people will talk about a show like Game of Thrones for the entire like three months that it's on and probably for another two months that it's off because mm-hmm. they're waiting for it to come back. And 
Netflix, you don't get that same pleasure. As much as I'm enjoying these Netflix shows, there's there's a uncomfortable disconnect with the fact that like I've seen the first five episodes of the show, and if I want to go talk to somebody else, I have no idea what they've seen about mm-hmm. the show, so therefore I just don't even bring it up. So I don't think that they're truly ever going to eclipse HBO or or even set a trail. I mean, I do think that, yeah, this HBO Now is influenced by Netflix, but that's in no way going to change HBO's business model or anybody else's for that matter. Very well. And I would I would take your opinion over pretty much anybody else I know because you are the TV person. So <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> Moving on to Dusan, what did you uh, have for the week in review this week? I finally decided to jump back in with, with my friend to watching The Blacklist because we kind of like left off in the early episodes of season two. And that is the kind of film that either you're... There are no strings on me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there, it's one of those films, the, those shows that either you're invested in the central mystery or you're not, and that's going to be the entire reason. Like, that's the whole propulsion of this film. Like, as, like as, oh, that, I'm sorry, of this show. Okay, the central mystery between what is the relationship between Reddington Red and... Um, that is still the greatest TV. Is, is, that, is that his real name? Yeah. That's his, that's his show. name. Yeah. It's Reddington Red. Yeah. Reddington Red. That's his name. Yeah. That sounds like a NASCAR driver's name. <laughs> yeah. It sounds <laughs> like anything but a TV From character. Instead, name. he's like he's like Anthony Bourdain if he was a supervillain. That's pretty much how I, I've, I've summed that up. With um, uh, Agent Agent Keen, that's the name of the, the female protagonist. Like, the whole relationship between them, like, what is the nature of that? Is he like a... A father figure, or she is, is he, a father, or is he her father's? Like you don't know. It, it keeps on hinting around it. Like, okay, that's... you don't know. I haven't even seen the show, but I've heard so many people say that it's f- so fucking obvious that he's her father. Is it supposed to be obvious, or is it supposed to just be misleading us? Because like, there's so know. many. I haven't seen it. There's so many different things that, that are contrary about it. It's like, but as soon as you're, you lo- lose interest in that, there's no reason to watch the the show anymore. But I'm still interested in it because they're adding like new layers to it, and I'm looking forward to catching up. I also watched uh, a much better film than Prometheus. I watched The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, he totally got robbed for Best Actor. Yeah? Yeah, and that Quaalude scene is Ooh, one of... Leo? Yeah, Leo. He, that Quaalude scene um, later in the film is one of the most masterful pieces, pieces of comedy I've ever seen in my entire life. See, the thing about that scene is it is hilarious, but it is also horribly sad at the yeah. same time, so... yeah. It, it manages to do that. Tell that to the audience that I saw it with. <laughs> oh, they thought it was, they were guffawing during Oh, it. my God. Yeah. That, was, that was one of the biggest reactions I've ever Belly heard. Belly laugh extraordinary. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. this was, uh, he was a fucking rock star because this was comedy gold. I thought, like, I was, a, I mean, it, it is funny, of course, mm-hmm. like you said. But, no, this was like I was transported to a Will Ferrell uh, film audience, you know. It's like people were eating that shit up. And then they were like, because this is the same audience, let me just point this out, that the minute Margot Robbie, uh, or Robbie, point, uh, showed up naked for the first time on screen, uh, had not just one person, but at least a group of people going, oh. <laughs> so I did not see this with the most intelligent group of people. <laughs> Somebody like Jameis Winston. <laughs> oh, Nobody's no. Nobody's going to get that reference. Oh, I got it. Oh, no. But going back to Wolf of Wall Street, it was my favorite movie from that year, 2013. And when I saw it for the first time in a theater, I just thought it was hilarious. And oh, it, it is a comedy. No I, way around it. Alex, Alex roped me. I, he didn't have to pull my, my arm, twist my arm to get me <laughs> to go. Pull your what? <laughs> I, I think I went with Alex on his third viewing or yeah, second viewing. Seventh viewing yeah. in the theater. He, yeah, that, 
this is an awesome movie, and that that is my favorite scene. Mm-hmm. That whole yeah, it's a great movie. when Although, he opens the the yeah. car door with his foot. I just love that he thought he made it home totally fine. What a fighter! Although I gotta say, I'm I love that movie as well. Although I'm in the minority opinion, and I truly believe that uh, Jonah Hill gave a better performance than Leonardo DiCaprio. Because... I'll, I'll disagree, but I'm not gonna say he was bad. I know. I, I learned that if you take too many quaaludes, you turn into the clown from Spawn. That was terrifying. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. You should watch Spawn again. I shouldn't. Yeah, you should. Okay. Just to understand what I'm talking about, then you'll understand and agree with me. Um, John, uh, John Bernthal, who plays Brad, who's my one of my favorite unsung characters from The Wolf of Wall Street, when it's to- like a totally random scene and he walks up to... Um, Jonah Hill and Jonah Hill like goes uh, shake his hand and he's like, "Who are you supposed to be, Jack Nickeljew?" Oh, so Ooh. great! Yeah. <laughs> because he's Jewish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. Ah, yeah. Wolf Wall Street is great. Mm. Moving on to Kenny, uh, what did you um, review or watch this week and want to give your review on my week? Uh, I guess was probably inspired by. You watched more movies than I did this week, so I just want that to sink in. Something's wrong. That's Something's... never going to happen again. Should probably. he get like a medal for that or something? I should. Well, no, because you only watched three, but... <laughs> four. I, I watched oh. four. I oh, watched four okay. Movies. Then yes, give the man a medal. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess it was inspired by Prometheus. Uh, my week was entirely based on space movies. I, um, space I, Jam? <laughs> no, shit. You fucked up, Kenny. Go on his life. As Interstellar is going to be coming out, like, what, next week or two weeks from now, something like that? It's, uh, yeah, uh, it's next Tuesday, I think it comes out, on Blu-ray and DVD. Fortunately for me, being the procrastinator I am, I've wanted to see Interstellar and had just settled for seeing it when it came out, but I found a second-run theater in the area that is still playing it, actually. Mm. Um, so I went and saw that, fucking loved it, um... That, that's something that we can get into at a, another time because I love that movie so much. Um, uh, other than that, though, uh, right before I came over to do this episode, I, I paused Gravity. I'm right in the middle of Gravity and not feeling it. It's not... Well, it's because it's not a good movie. It's not so. a good movie. But didn't it win a bunch I of agree. awards? Like, I well, yeah, it, it te- technically, like... it's a great movie, but like, yeah. like in terms of the effects and everything. Even but... that, I was pretty much bored after really? 20. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the same hmm. trick over and over. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's... I mean, at least Birdman with live action or something. So when yeah. you have this one-take mentality, there's some actual craft and everybody working together uh, to achieve this you know, thing. But, my, my wife could never get past Sandra Bullock I'm, being sent into space with no yeah, space it's, experience it's, it's so at all. Great. We're going to send you one astronaut that knows what he's doing. <laughs> and if something happens to him, well, then you I'm should I'm glad you luck. bring her up because is it just me or was the, were those two just awful casting? I mean, I... They're fucking terrible. I didn't mind George Clooney in that role, but I just didn't like the movie itself or the characters in general. I don't know enough about space travel, but... <laughs> well, don't worry, because neither does that film. <laughs> right. a, a fucking commercial airline pilot, not allowed to have normal conversation during the course of a flight. What are these two fucking idiots doing out in space listening to country music and, and just yakking back and forth? That is that That's that called that character that... development, Kenny. It's shitty. It's shitty. It's... It's not a good movie. I'm probably not going to finish it. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you should finish it and watch the end. There are some beautiful scenes at the end of the film. There are but yeah, that was the worst scenes, part. But... Yeah. Well, don't. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about the very end of the film. Uh, leading up to oh, the end of the film. Okay. Right. But I'll, I'll, and I don't I'm, know. 
uh, um, the actual like story of this film is shit. So there's it's no garbage. way around it. Yeah, it's, garbage. it's not good. It's terrible. I'm very disappointed. I've been wanting to see it and just again procrastinated. Never got around. It's to really it. short too. It's only like 86 yep. minutes long. So, uh, and then the best space movie of all time possible to, t- to top this off. Uh oh. I watched Jumanji. I did watch Jumanji. I love Jumanji. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> it's the best. Totally unrelated. But I watched Jumanji. <laughs> okay. That, that's the other movie. Well, I it's funny you said <laughs> that just because there is like a pseudo sequel to Jumanji. That is a space version. Yeah, I was. Oh, thinking, yeah. So for some weird reason, I thought you were tied in. No, I, I think no. it's called Zathra or something yeah, Zathra. like that. But I didn't yeah, go see it. I just that was a very. Oh, wait a minute, we watched Machete, and uh, Machete in space is in production. So <laughs> it's, it's not uh, in production. Let's not bump. No, it's not. It's, it's not, not Buster Load quite yet. Yeah. It's uh, it's in pre-production or it's development. I think is the phase that it's technically in. Machete. It it probably doesn't need to happen. But it doesn't need to happen. Okay. It's gonna happen. It's yeah, gonna, and I'm gonna be there to throw my money at it. Yeah. Okay, it's gonna happen. Since you brought up Jumanji, uh, did you have anything more to say about Jumanji? Was <laughs> that absolutely it? not? No, I, I've never <laughs> seen it. Absolutely I, what, what not. Else? I haven't seen it since I was ten years old. And what else can you really say about? Yeah. Jumanji? What well, year yeah. is it? Yeah. What can you say? Hey, that's a fucking freaky movie to watch when you're a child. It is. The, <laughs> no, seriously. The the notion of the kid turning into a monkey and not being able to possibly change back. That was literally the most terrifying thing of my childhood right there. Because then I started to think, what if that happened to me? What if it already happened and you don't know it? Oh, like you were shit. something else and you changed into you. Oh, my God. Mine. No. But no, but it's the idea that, you you know, like when you're at that impressionable age and you want to impress other kids, that you would turn into this hideous monster, but also <laughs> still be fully... Fu- I'm serious. I put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> but also be this, like, walking, talking human being, like... That, I don't know. That just it fucked me up good. Well, yeah, your your review was way more in depth than mine, <laughs> I, and you didn't even watch it. No, well, I just hadn't seen it since I was ten. Childhood yeah. fear is complex, man. Since we're talking about Jumanji, I'll get into my weekend review. Um, <laughs> you, you watched it too. I did not. <laughs> you oh. Um, but referencing that, I uh, watched another Robin Williams film that I hadn't seen in over ten years. I watched Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> And oh hello! Damn, that is a classic. I am sorry. I will. Uh, it's not a the best movie, or it, it's, uh, it it's aged probably poorly in terms of its references. Mm. It it has not aged well with that. I just there are so many parts of that movie that I'm just like, fuck yeah, that was awesome. It's no Jumanji, but I'll give it to you. Yeah, it's a good movie. You were shaking your head, Nick. You're not a fan of Mrs. Doubtfire? Or... No, I was actually picking something out of my ass. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I have not seen Mrs. Doubtfire in Ever? Years. Oh, as you say. Just in years. I've actually rewatched Jumanji the other... Well, not the other day, but after he sadly passed away, I did kind of rewatch that because that was one of the ones I was more interested in revisiting, but no, I have not seen it. Mrs. Doubtfire has so many great references that you could easily forget. Like when Pierce Brosnan is walking away... And he throws the fruit at his head, and he turns around, and he's like, Oh, sir, I saw it. It was a run-by fruiting. It just... Ah, damn, it's damn hilarious. The entire thing. And then the way the final scene gets set up, where he has the dinner with the possible business at the same restaurant as the dinner with the... It's total comical fun for me, and I just love it. It's basically, obviously, I want to say he's playing the opposite if he did in uh, The Birdcage, because he... In the birdcage, he was the character that didn't dress up and go around, whatever. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, so I just think that's kind of interesting. In fact, I think that's because the uh, Doubtfire came before the birdcage. I'm not sure if it I did. It was say, only by like a year right, or something right. like that. And I think that that was actually I, that's 
little trivia is that he was offered the role of Nathan Lane's character, and he said no because he had just did the Doubtfire and did not mm-hmm. want to do the same thing. But then he said, I think I could do uh, the other character, which he did very well in. Yeah, but I, I just feel like Robin Williams, and this was just totally like, without him, this movie would have never happened. Like, they just gave him the keys to the castle and said, go do what you're doing, and that's fine. And I just love almost every part of it, so I'm a big fan. And I... I obviously didn't want Robin Williams to die or anything like that. Cause that's horrible that, you know, that happened and he decided would, to end his life. Well, yeah, but there, he was, there was talk about a second Mrs. Doubtfire happening down the road. And I, Jeez. I just, I just don't know about that, but I love the first one. So and the only one, and I would uh, definitely check it out if you have the means, if I'm you haven't just, seen it lately. I'm just looking over Robin Williams on IMDb. He's got I a lot of credits. Totally forgot about Flubber. <laughs> I meant to mention to uh, Toussaint that that was a sequel or a remake, and he right. was thrown yeah. off by yeah. that. That was whoa! That still blows my mind. Yeah, it was crazy. The original is actually really good. I used to I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. Flubber is one of the first movies I saw in the movie theater. Really? Uh, if not Fun the fact. first, because uh, yeah, I just thought you know because I know the listeners are very hung up on my. You know, cinematic journey. So I just wanted, <laughs> wanted to make sure people knew that. Oh, very good. On that note, I think we'll bring this episode of Film Day to conclusion. And we can talk more about Nick's journey on the next episode. And if you're interested to know what we'll be talking about, we will be uh, discussing a, well, we have to call it classic at this point, uh, The Big Lebowski. Yes! Woo! Apparently Kenny yes. likes The Big Lebowski. I know he does. That was the second Love. movie I saw in the theaters. <laughs> was it really? No, it wasn't. I was to say you had horrible parents. Yeah. Man. I'll have Not... my... Uh... Sorry, go ahead. No, please. Go ahead. I was just saying, I've, I've already got my white Russians ready. No, you're ready. ready to go. Yeah. yeah, you've been ready since like last week with those. Absolutely. Go pay for some half and half with a check at your right. local convenience store and we'll be good to go. You got it. Yeah, no, uh, that movie we'll talk about it at length next week but it's definitely what i would call a cult classic as it did not do anything spectacular at the theater but it is a uh, major cable winner and uh, we'll talk at length about it next week and if you have a review or anything you'd like us to talk about about the big lebowski or like to give your two cents you can always send us an email at a film tank show at gmail.com or uh, find us on twitter facebook or instagram at film tank show and if you want to listen to any of our episodes uh, you can either go to our website, filmtankshow.com, or you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher at Film Tank Show. Uh, on the show today was Nick Cheney. You can find him on Twitter at Nick J. Cheney. Also, Toussaint Egan on Twitter at The Saint of Toos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Marcellus as White Limo 61. Fucking badass porn name right there. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at Alex underscore Diegman. Thank you very much for listening to episode six of Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time. Take it easy.